When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lettuce is unbelievably expensive, but the world is changing fast. If almost every economic trend over the past two years somehow traced back to the pandemic, whether through supply chain snarls or labor shortages, rising food prices have been linked less to the pandemic than to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and to climate change, things like the persistent drought in the American West. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Simon Samoji, Aral Chair in the Business of Food at the University of Guelph. Samoji had a prediction that food prices would start falling soon. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. Simon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Everyone has seen that food prices are way up. Lettuce, if you can find it at all today, costs beyond what many people would have predicted. It seemed like for a while, a lot of the news headlines about inflation were talking about how much gas prices has risen, but the attention seems to have shifted to food right now, which is really the concern du jour. First off, what's causing all this? Yeah, you're right, Jeff. We've seen food prices increase by about 11% in the last 12 months. And if you look at general inflation, which is about close to 7%, uh, you know, it's easy to see that we're paying a lot more for food than we are paying for many other things in our lives. That, that rate of increase has, has been really high. And there's, there's a few issues. And I'll start by going to the, the, the lettuce shortage and prices. So we, we have to import a lot of the leafy greens, particularly lettuce that we get in Canada. And a lot of it comes from the US, particularly California, and they've had drought conditions. And those drought conditions have led to just a shortage of lettuce, but also some bacterial infections and outbreaks that have therefore reduced the supply of lettuce that, that we get into Canada. So we're seeing a whole set of different factors. Climate change and the ability to get food into stores because there's just less of it being made. Yet fuel prices have a big impact on Canadian food prices. We have to move food and that's generally through trucks and a lot of it comes from the US and from Mexico. And you know, we've seen fuel prices come down a little bit, but they're still historically quite high. We've seen the Ukraine conflict have a big impact on our food prices. Ukraine's one of the world's largest producers of wheat, and wheat goes into things like breads and pasta, and they have skyrocketed in price. When you affect one price of a grain, it then impacts other grains, corn like soybeans, and a lot of those go to feed for animals, and that therefore impacts meat and dairy prices. And the Ukraine is also a big producer of fertilizer, and that impacts fruit and vegetable prices and grain prices as well. So it's this perfect storm of all these conflicts, that poor weather conditions, high fuel prices, all coming together to push the price of food up higher than general inflation. Right. You started off by talking about how California, there's a drought, which means less lettuce. But my understanding is like there's been a drought in California for years. Mm. Well, there's been you know lower rainfall in California for quite some time. This year, it has been quite extreme. Using lettuce as an example, 
the lettuce we get this time of the year from the U.S. comes from California, particularly the Salinas Valley, which is sort of north of Los, Los Angeles, sort of right. between Los Angeles and San Francisco. But that's Steinbeck country. Ah, and, and it's in a very concentrated space. And so the Salinas Valley is very important to Canadian food supply. What we see coming into December and January is production then shifts to Arizona and Yuma in Arizona. And the Salinas Valley isn't very big. It's a relatively small area that we get a lot of our leafy greens. And it's once it shifts to Arizona that we then see the supply will increase. So we're talking about a very small space. Uh, and also into Mexico as well, we're starting to get more um, leafy greens as well. Is it the case that we're starting to sort of diversify our lettuce and there's opportunities for other growing areas in the world to service this lettuce demand? Lettuce is an interesting one. And I'm glad we're talking about it because it, it's a high water vegetable. So all leafy greens like lettuce, particularly things like cucumbers, you know, and the more water it contains, the quicker it can degrade and have and have a short shelf life. So when it comes to importing lettuce into Canada, it's it's got to have a very efficient supply chain that can then get the product to the grocery store as quick as possible. Uh, otherwise, the shelf life is, is very short. And if you then think about leafy greens that they've got to get to uh, more remote parts of Canada, the shelf life is even less. So we're talking about a very fragile food product here. So the discussion that has been happening a lot in recent times is this concept of nearshoring. Can we produce more leafy greens in Canada? Uh, rather than having to import it from such a far distance, or even from Arizona, which is also a long way away. And that's where it gets a bit complicated. So obviously, between about now in November and towards April, we have you know snow everywhere and we can't produce food outside, or particularly, I should say, fruits and vegetables. Therefore, there's other ways of producing those leafy greens. There's indoor farming, there's greenhouses. And now we do have a very big greenhouse uh, production area in Canada, um, particularly in southwestern Ontario. If you know the area, very close to the Detroit border. But a lot of that production goes to the US. And leafy greens require a level of very specific production systems that other forms of indoor farming. So we're seeing companies have warehouse farms where they have artificial lights, very complex feeding systems and water systems. So what we could do in Canada is develop more of that sector. But we are, once again, a very small country, uh, geographically dispersed. You know, it, it works probably well for the business case of producing leafy greens in southwestern Ontario, but then having a spread population from you know, the west to east coast, you, you've got to produce it and get it to those places as quickly as possible. That's where it becomes more costly. So that's why we still rely a lot on the US for that production. But there is ways of just making that production more efficient, and that could help. And that, that's what's happening, which is happening very slowly. Well, that at least sounds like it means like those lettuce blues will clear up eventually. You, you also mentioned the conflict in Ukraine and Russia where it's not only a breadbasket of the world, a lot of the world's energy comes through there. So it's raised energy prices and fertilizers coming out of there. So costing more, which affects food production. And that, that's an issue that doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. In fact, yeah, it, it, it's one of the, probably been the, one of the biggest contributors to food price inflation this year. But we typically expect food price inflation to be somewhat similar or a little just maybe just a little bit higher than general inflation which is in the six percent but we you know we're, we're almost 11 percent for food 
So it really has come down to the impact of the Ukrainian conflict, how it's impacted the supply of fuel, which then puts up the price of fuel, which impacts the transportation costs, big fertilizer producer, as I said, so that impacts grain and, and fruit and vegetable production. And obviously grain costs impact meat and dairy prices. And also the, the grain production that impacts the price of bread and pasta and different types of vegetable oils as well. Uh, so it's had a massive impact and very hard to predict when that would start to flow out. But I'd say that the, the bulk of the 4 to 5% difference between general inflation and what food inflation is at is probably due to the Ukrainian conflict. Wow. So it, it has had a major impact. Wow. On the show, I'm always talking about the economy. And it always seemed in the last you know, two years or so to always went back to the pandemic. Mm. Russia's invasion of Ukraine really didn't have a lot to do with the pandemic, mm. at least on the surface. Here, it just means higher food prices, but I expect somewhere it probably means food shortages in places. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier that you know, Ukraine is one of the largest producers of wheat, but most of that wheat that comes from Ukraine goes to Africa. But Grains and oil seeds are globally traded commodities, which means that the price that a bread or pasta maker buys that grain for, or a Saskatchewan oil seed producer or an Ontario wheat producer gets for their grains is based on world prices. So when you have these conflicts, when you have weather or drought events around the world that then constrict supply, it then impacts the price of what the farmer gets in, in Canada and what our food processors pay for those grains as well. So it has this knock-on effect, that this, the concept that they're all globally traded commodities, unlike fruits and vegetables, which aren't really globally traded. It, it's not impacting the necessarily the supply of grains and to Canada, but, but because they're as I said, globally traded commodities, it impacts the price. Yeah, probably the, the, the main factor that I mentioned regarding COVID is that it's been difficult to get workers. And we've seen that on farm, but we get a lot of our workers from Central America and the Caribbean, and it's been hard to get them in, which means that somewhat constricted the supply of food in Canada but increase the work workers' wages. And the, the transportation industry, as I said, food security runs on the back of a truck. And when we can't get people to drive trucks, that constricts supply, increases the price of what that truck is, is delivering. So COVID's had a bit of an impact, but yeah, it, the Ukraine conflict is quite an impact as well. I see. And so what you're saying is the COVID impact has been the sort of labor shortage that you're hearing about in that, like seasonal farm workers are not coming over in the same amounts truck drivers. Yeah, a lot of the, the truck driving industry statistics show that a lot of the truck drivers in Canada prior to the pandemic were getting close to retirement. And then once the pandemic hit, a lot of them retired and we've had difficulty filling uh, those places and spaces. If you remember back to the days of 2020 and somewhat 2021, when we were at the peak of, of COVID, we had sort of outbreaks of COVID at, at meat processing plants, uh, particularly in the Prairie provinces. And that impacted the, the price of meat. Those issues seem to have been sorted out to some extent and less of an issue now. But as we sit today, it comes down a lot to the workers and whether or not we can get workers on farm. And, and we've always struggled to get Canadians to work on farm. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 
Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you put all this together, you know you've got a war in Ukraine that's not going to end. You've got a drought in California that's not going to end. To some extent, these new higher food prices are here to stay, at least for the short to medium term. Yeah, I, I think the endeavors that are happening to nearshore or in- increase the production of the food that we import from the US and, and Mexico being our major trading partners, but those solutions are somewhat long-term. In the short term, we really have to still import, and that's important. I, I always say that you, you can't have 100% what they call food sovereignty. So food sovereignty is the idea that you produce everything where you are. That, that's actually a really bad idea because if you then have bad weather events or some other issue with workers or whatever it may be, that then means you have no alternatives to the food that you need. A classic example is recently in Australia, they have had major flooding and that heavily impacted the supply of lettuce and leafy greens and prices skyrocketed three or four times what they would normally be. I think, you know, if we look forward into my crystal ball, and I get asked a lot, when are we, we going to see food prices decrease? I think a slightly slowing economy, that should help one of the big factors that impacts Canadian food prices, and that's the Canadian dollar against the US dollar. So every time there's an interest rate increase, that technically makes your dollar stronger. And it looks like we're going to have a number of interest rate increases over the coming months. And that can help us, particularly as we go into now winter, where we have to import even more food. So I'm somewhat confident that a slowing economy that then will drive down inflation, which will increase the strength of the Canadian dollar, should put a bit of a dampener on food prices. Well, I guess that's good news um, in, in a roundabout way, right? I mean, food prices will come down. So one thing we haven't talked about, in Canada, the grocery industry is dominated by a few players, really three big companies. And in October, Canada's Competition Bureau announced it was launching an investigation into whether a lack of competition contributed to rising prices. Of course, no one can say at this point whether or not there's been any collusion to raise prices among grocers. But, you know, people have a lot of strong feelings about this. And I was curious if you had looked into it at all. Mm. There was a flurry of activity probably about a month ago regarding grocers and profitability. And we, we saw very large profits from Loblaws, Empire Group, which is Sobeys. And there was a lot of politicking by a number of leaders of various parties around, well, this is grocery stores profiting from record prices. And as you mentioned, there's a, a competition commission look into this issue. Looking at the data, it's a little bit hard to say if the grocers are actually making large amounts of money from food shopping. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated because if you look into the financial results of these companies, which is publicly available, it shows that they're making large money from their retail divisions. But it seems, at least in what we've seen from Loblaws, that their increases in sales are more to do with drugstore sales, in particular cosmetics, uh, which are a high margin product and they make a lot of money from them, and also different types of medical supplies as well, which they also make a lot of money from. But we can't 
see exactly what they're making from food, which is typically a very low margin business. Uh, so I, I think they are making a little bit more money from food if their margins are 2%, but the cost of goods has increased by over 10%. Well, then they're making more money. But uh, in terms of competition, yeah, we, we do have three grocers that dominate the, the marketplace. This is typical around the world where grocery businesses are expensive businesses to run. You, you get economies of scale. But by that, I mean you get larger, and the larger you get, your, your costs per product that you sell typically get lower, and then you can technically pass those costs on to consumers. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I think the commission is looking at it from a very specific angle in, in a case of just looking at how it impacts consumers when the interesting angle is more to do with the way that grocers work with and deal with their suppliers and how they pressure suppliers for lower and lower prices. That's an interesting angle that they're not looking at. So yeah, that's sort of where I think it's at. One thing I've heard suggested is there's a lot of price signaling. In other words, like there doesn't necessarily have to be collusion even if there's three big grocers and one, you know, says, makes a big deal out of the fact that they're raising the price of whatever it is, lettuce, milk, et cetera. Then like the others can sort of easily step in line with that. It's an interesting topic. Uh, it actually relates to a little bit of media, not speculation, but media um, information that came out sort of also a month ago when Sobeys said that they freeze the price of their private labels, so the, the compliments brands, around Christmas. And the way they said it made it sound like that they talk with their competitors, Loblaws and, and Metro to freeze those prices, which is heavily, well, is, is legal under competition act. So you, you can't do that. And but they retracted that. And I think their PR department got things a little bit wrong. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit hard. I think even if you look at sales across different grocery stores, that you'll have the same product at different prices across stores, because what actually goes into the final sale product at a particular store involves numerous factors. In fact, they do a lot of analytics that take into account, okay, well, here's, let's say, 1.25 liter bottle of Coke or a two liter bottle of Coke, let's just say. And well, it might be a very similar price across stores. It may be small sense variations there based on the logistics to get that product to the store. The product comes from a distribution center for the grocer. So a lot of stock at that distribution center can typically mean that uh, they discount the product a little bit. It can also be a factor of logistics. So the truck leaves the distribution center and goes to the grocery store for a particular store. It wants to have that truck as full as possible, so it will fill it with as many goods as it can. Sometimes that means putting additional products, like my two-liter Coke example, and therefore they might want to discount that at that point in time. So there are similarities across store and that they do have sales, and we see the flyers where the price is set, but there are small variations across stores. Fascinating. Um, there's so much more we could talk about it. One question for you, since you study this, is like, I man, I was just talking with my cashier at the grocery store mm. the other day who was saying like she stopped buying lettuce. Mm. I'm wondering how our food consumption patterns shift in the face of inflation. There's a lot of information that's come out recently about what people are doing to combat these high food prices. You know, our wages aren't increasing rapidly, particularly in Canada over the last three years, but we're seeing some wage growth. But generally speaking, over the last few decades, we haven't. We, we have a lot of asset growth. And that's come from, I'm sure we've all seen the record housing prices, which is starting to dampen a bit, but we're not seeing prices increase. So people are becoming a lot smarter about 
how they buy food. And for some, particularly of the younger generations of in our society, they've never really had to budget for food, making lists, looking at flyers and seeing what's on special and, and, and buying what's on sale. And probably importantly, you know, not wasting food uh, and letting things go stale in, in, the, in the fridge and having to throw them out. So we're seeing people combat this by being a lot smarter about where they spend their money because they've got less of it and everything is so expensive. So we're in the age of the savvy shopper, but we're seeing a lot of food bank use and that is troubling. People are, are saying that they are substituting for different types of food, which is good, but then about, I think, 10% uh, of people in a recent survey are, are eating less. And you know, we, we need people to be have eating nutritious food. There is some research that says when prices get high, people spend more on food that's not good for you because typically high-carb, high-sugar products are cheaper than, say, the leafy greens, the, the fruits and vegetables, the lean meats that are good for you. So that, that's also a concern. So I think at this point in time, we're getting towards the peak of food price increases, and it's really coming down to people being a smart shopper. Yeah. Do you have any predictions about sort of where we are a year from now in terms of our food costs? The, the lesson that I've learned in my life is what goes up must come down. We've seen that through the pandemic with housing and how you know houses doubled in price over the last three years and then come down. And a lot of that was to do with the fact that we had huge amounts of money within the economy and fewer opportunities to spend that money. Now we're trying to constrain that with monetary policy through the Bank of Canada and the government is restricting its, its spending in, to some extent in some programs, that should mean that we have high interest rates. That should mean that prices go down. It also means, unfortunately, that people will lose their jobs. It's, I think the Bank of Canada has recently said, and the governor has said, Mr. Macklin, that you know this extremely low unemployment rate cannot last forever. And so we're going to have the trade-off of lower food prices in the future as a result of uh, less in, lower inflation uh, and less money in the system, but people will be losing their jobs as well. So we, we, we have to get to that point where we balance out. I think in uh, 12 months to two years, I think we'll see prices decreasing. Once again, as we talked about today with the Ukraine conflict, it's not certain where that, where that goes. Uh, and what happens there. And hopefully there is a resolution soon. So that is the issue at play that we really can't predict. But other than that, I, th I think we will see food prices decrease as we go into next year. In a couple of weeks' time, we release our, our food price report, which is a collaboration with uh, Dalhousie University, University of Saskatchewan and University of British Columbia, where we predict prices with a set of techniques that we use. And we'll have to wait until that report comes out. But I think uh, we're seeing the trend of lowering prices be something that will come into next year and, and the years coming. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure, Gabe. Thank you. That was Simon Samoji, Arrow Chair in the Business of Food at the University of Guelph. Thanks to my guest. Thanks to the listeners of the show. This episode of Down to Business was produced by Bryce Hall, who composed and performed the original music on the show. He also designed the logo. Pam Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells provided web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll return next week with another episode. Until then, you can find your business news at financialpost.com.